Are you enjoying the Single Tracks podcast? Well, we could use your support. The small but dedicated Single Tracks team works hard to share the mountain bike information that inspires epic adventures through this podcast, our worldwide database of trail maps and photos, and daily news and reviews on the website. So consider becoming a monthly, annual, or lifetime pro supporter and enjoy ad-free browsing on the website, free single track stickers in the mail, and discounts on merch for as little as $3 per month. Go to singletracks.com support to sign up and to find out other ways you can help support our mission. That's singletracks.com support. Thank you and happy trails. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Manon Carpenter. Manon is a downhill mountain bike world champion and advocate for the environment living in Carfilly, Wales. She recently premiered a documentary film titled Trails on Trial that explores how trails connect the land with the communities and various stakeholders around them. Thanks for joining us, Manon. Thank you for having me. It's great to talk. So I would usually start an interview by asking you like how you got into mountain biking, but in this case, it actually feels more appropriate to like understand how you got interested in the idea of environmental protection. Uh, one of the videos I watched with you, it seemed like you had like a really early awareness of the environment and like why that's important. Is, is that right? Yeah, I think some of it must have come from my parents, who I think are also very appreciative of of the natural world and I was lucky to grow up kind of opposite a really nice area of land that's kind of been left to do its own thing and we could go and roam in the fields and woods and had quite a lot of freedom that way and I think that maybe has kind of fostered uh, a real appreciation of the natural world and I know Hmm. through school that's that was a theme I think that kept coming up I've got various like bits of school writing from early years in school where I'm kind of talking about all the nature <laughs> that I've been in yeah. on the weekends. So yeah, it has been there for quite a while. So yeah, it sounds like Carfilly is like, it's a pretty rural area, I guess. It's, is, is that true? Not really as what you might think of as rural. Um, so we're just outside the capital city of Wales, actually. Um, so I kind mm-hmm. of lived just outside a city, but it's a pretty big town, but there are, there are some yeah, you can get out into the hills from there. Mm-hmm. So I have been yeah. very lucky. I'm kind of not super rural, like I'm close to town and people, mm-hmm. but you can also get away as well, which is a really nice balance, I think. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That it's a it's a balance where you're able to like coexist with nature and and understand that connection that we have. So, what about the connection between biking and the environment? Was that always clear to you? especially even as a professional racer, like how did you see the two kind of interacting? Yeah. So I think biking obviously gets you out into these amazing places. Mm -hmm. And I think spending so much time like roaming through the woods or wherever it is on trails, um, I think definitely it does help you foster quite a deep connection to the area you're in. And you maybe explore areas where you wouldn't otherwise, if you stuck to the kind of defined paths, maybe that you might walk on. Or you can get further. And then I guess through racing, obviously you get to go to some amazing places mm-hmm. um, and being in the mountains. And yeah, I think, I guess it just allowed me to really see some of these amazing places. But possibly more recently is when I've been thinking about how we interact with the environment when we're in it. Mm. 
Um, that's maybe the last few years. I'm thinking about that a bit more. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that. I'm curious to hear about your local trails a little bit more. Like, who builds and maintains them? What are what? How would you describe those local trails? Uh huh. So yeah, it's partly why or how Trails on Trail came about because mm -hmm. in South Wales, so kind of the general region that I'm in. So pretty much all of the trails that we ride and that I've trained on growing up have been built mm -hmm. by volunteers, people that just have gone out and built trails of their own accord. Mm -hmm. And none of these trails, official trails, as you would say, you know, they're called unofficial trails or you might call them natural or off-piste. <laughs> natural, I like that. And over the years, they, they come in all different and built, yeah, or whatever you want to call them. And some of them have been there for years and years and years, you know, 20 years or more. Mm -hmm. And then some of them come and go. Mm -hmm. Either they get removed or there's been felling, for example, in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess kind of being aware of this, that the trails don't always stay and they get lost for a number of different reasons. Yeah. Um, or they have to be kept a bit quiet for, yeah, various reasons. <laughs> right. Right. And, and your, your dad, uh, was actually a trail builder too, right? Or, or he built, uh, like tracks for, was it for BMX racing? Yeah. So he's done all sorts and he very much, yeah well decides he wants to do something and then goes and absolutely does it <laughs> um so he ran a race series called dragon dad hill race series which is very well known mm -hmm. from like maybe the mid late 90s to late late 2000s mm -hmm. and it's kind of known for maybe pioneered some of the downhill tracks in yeah. the uk almost for having pretty natural trails with some quite challenging features he definitely likes trails to be challenging <laughs> whether that's dirt jumps or downhill tracks or bmx tracks um he likes them to be quite technical and challenging were you like his test rider kind of and or so he was making these downhill tracks but then he did evolve into bmx tracks and he definitely built a bmx track well i think he built a bmx track near us in cardiff that was specifically quite like a training focused track and i think that was so he could take me there <laughs> for training like you have to sprint <laughs> super hard at the first jump that was a step up yeah <laughs> you get to do that if you're the builder you get to build the kind of kind of trail or track that you want yeah yeah exactly and now he has a skate park an indoor skate park actually so he really has done oh wow a variety of things <laughs> yeah that's awesome and yeah you mentioned like how the trails, they evolve over time, you know, some trails appear and disappear. And, you know, sometimes that's nature taking them back because there's like a storm and, you know, trail just gets, gets covered in trees or like in other cases too, like if the people who built the trails are no longer maintaining them, uh, they might just kind of fall by the wayside if no one's using them or actively maintaining them. So are there groups that are doing a good job supporting uh, both official and unofficial trail builders would you say like in your area and then i guess more generally too yeah it's definitely starting to happen which is really cool it's quite exciting like right now um in the past it's very much been individuals and you might know who they are or it might be quite hard to find out who they are yeah um, but now there's definitely established groups who are also now working with the land manager there's kind of one main land manager in wales not always but like 20% of the land is a government government organization, Natural Resources Wales. 
So the, and they have most of the forests as well, actually. So they take care of most of the forests, which is obviously where mountain bike trails go. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a lot of liaising going on now between these groups trying to get the trails more recognized and yeah, and establish groups, you know, starting to work on the trails. It, but it's definitely evolving and it's definitely got quite a long way to go. I know in America and Canada, I think you're quite used to having established groups. Mm-hmm. In areas and in some case professional organizations looking after trails. But I feel like we're definitely quite a way behind that. Scotland is going that way. It's kind of just starting now. But I hope in five to 10 years, you know, there will be some really established groups looking after the trails. Yeah. That's surprising that, that, that hasn't been a big focus. Do you think that, I mean, what's been kind of the, the negative of that? I mean, are the trails currently being built? Like, are they? Are they generally good for the environment or do like we have room to improve there, like in terms of, of building more sustainable trails and, and doing it kind of the right way based on best practices? Yeah, very much depends on the places you're in. So hmm. part of the reason why you don't have established groups is because I think it's kind of been turned a blind eye to. So quite a lot of the forests we have are like plantation forests. Mm-hmm. So commercially planted large trees. In a lot of places, not always large, but um, kind of like pine forests. Okay. And there's not an awful lot of life in them because they're quite kind of unnatural environments. You know, it's just for growing the trees. For... Yeah, it's like a monoculture. Yeah, exactly. And I think when mountain biking is happening in these woods, it's not actually so much of a problem because there's not, <laughs> unfortunately, an awful lot of <laughs> nature to worry about. Yeah. But then there's other areas where you have we call them triple SIs, like sites of special scientific interest and where you have more native woodlands. Mm -hmm. That's a bit more of a concern. And the main, in my local area at the moment, the main concern is trying to control and manage the number of trails that are being built. So, you know, you you try not to overrun an area with trails and get a good balance of, they kind of recognize that we should have trails in these areas because as I say, we're on the outside of the capital city of Wales, and it's great that people can go out into these areas, but it's doing it in a way that is balanced and works for nature and all the different users of those woods. Do you think there are areas anywhere, uh, even limit, like super limited areas where bikes don't belong? Yeah, I think if you have, I think this is where mountain bike is, this is where it's important to engage with the people who do manage the land and kind of being organized groups that have the ability to communicate with groups that are looking after the environmental aspect of the land mm. and know and know about it because often we might have no idea what's there right you know because we just you know we use the woods in our free time but obviously there's people who know you know work in these areas and know what's there yeah and i think it is really important to talk to these people to understand what's in the places where we're going mm-hmm. and yeah you know if there is a strong reason why some areas need to be left yeah left to do their own thing yeah i mean i think most mountain bikers most of us agree that there are places where you know they are very sensitive or whatever where we we don't need to ride our bikes and so but it's always interesting to me that mountain bikers still kind of have a bad reputation among environmental groups. Like they think that we don't care or that, you know, we're, we're not thinking about that stuff. What, what can we do to change that in your opinion? 
Yeah, so from what I'm seeing and what I've learned, especially through doing Trails on Trial, well, and getting involved locally, actually, mm-hmm. um, in some of these areas that are protected for various reasons, is we need to get actively involved in, say, I've been along now to some meetings, like stakeholder meetings for these areas. And last time I went to one, there was 30 of us and two of us were mountain bikers. And I think that was the first time mountain bikers had turned up. And, you know, the other users were dog walkers, walkers, maybe some horse riders. Mm -hmm. But so many of them, you know, the image they had of mountain bikers was not how I think of myself or my friends or the people who I ride. And I think that's simply because they just haven't met many mountain bikers to talk to and have a conversation with. And you maybe see online, you might see a version of a mountain biker. Or you've had, unfortunately, some bad experiences, I suppose, or heard of some bad experiences Mm -hmm. of, you know, a small minority, which I think you'll never be able to do anything about. But I think it's important to engage and have conversations and, you know, find that common ground that we definitely do have. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that that we need to, among the trail user groups, the more that we interact with one another positively, um, you know, working toward a common goal. Like we just see each other as like fellow trail users. It's not us versus them or anything. And yeah, like you said, it, it's not fair, but it's, it's true that, you know, one bad interaction with a biker can really like skew someone's opinion about the whole group of us. And somebody I was talking to recently was, was saying not only that, like, that can last for years, right? Like, you know, there's some hiker that's saying, well, 10 years ago, this guy, he nearly ran me down on a trail. And it's like, that that's really hard to overcome. And so, yeah, we have to be like really intentional about, about showing up and, and proving ourselves like kind of every day. Yeah. And as you say, yeah, I've kind of put that example of, you know, attending some meetings, but there also has to be meetings for you to attend. But as you say, whenever we're out on the trail, we have an opportunity to show a certain portrayal of a mountain biker, I guess. Mm -hmm. And something that did come up again through trails on trial when we were interviewing someone, well, a few people actually, that I think as mountain bikers, we're used to going a certain speed, you know, we're used to going Mm -hmm. 10 kilometers an hour or 10 miles an hour, but for some walkers, they really aren't used to that at all. So it's also, we need to think, even if we think we're not being, intimidating at all by rolling past someone you know a meter away on a trail if it's wide enough yeah we also maybe need to think and when we're riding in groups i've definitely been in a group where i felt like members of the group were were, were unintentionally being inconsiderate to walkers and you know you ride down a trail and some rocks might be moving and you do make a noise so yeah also you know trying to be as considerate as possible i think or i i do when i'm out riding right yeah, I mean, I think they call that empathy too, right? Like putting yourselves in the hiker's shoes. I mean, most of us also hike every now and then. I don't, I don't do it much. It's kind of boring to me, but you know, the times I have hiked, yeah, I, I feel that, that like that speed differential, uh, is there. And, you know, of course, like we know when we're on a bike, we've got brakes. Like we can stop the brakes today. We could stop on a dime if we need to. Um, but yeah, if, if we think about the hiker, they they don't understand that so uh in one of your video segments i think it was in a a soil searching uh video at the end of last year you said that trails come and go so i'm curious to know like what does that mean for us as mountain bikers like if trails are 
this sort of like transient thing. Like, is there anything we can do about that? Or, or is that just something we need to like work with? Yeah. So I think definitely for the person who made that trail, it's going to be pretty devastating, right? If you've spent hours into making a trail and then it's suddenly removed or closed or um, trees kind of dropped across it to discourage riding there. And if this is look close to people's homes, so I am quite, you know, I'm aware there will be some areas that are special and need to be protected, but I also feel like we all need opportunities wherever possible to be able to ride locally, you know, to get out from the front door and access some green space and go riding. I know it's not possible everywhere, but where that is something that can be done, I think it's important to have trails local to communities. So then obviously if a local community's trails get closed for whatever reason, then you know, they might not have anywhere to ride, you know, if it's a, a kid who can't drive or someone who doesn't have a car. And I think the solution to that, that again, definitely came about, or I was more aware of through Trails on Trial, is again, this mountain bike is getting organized and talking with the landowners, whether it's on an individual level, if it's possible in that area, or as a group, mm-hmm. and making these connections. Because I think as soon as there's a communication link between mountain bikers and whoever owns the land or looks after it, I think that immediately is going towards a better place or more, mm-hmm. you would hope, a more secure place for the trails mm-hmm. because there is that dialogue open. Yeah. Yeah. You make, make a really good point about like how important trails are to a community and, and the people, especially like, you know, younger people who like that's the only trail they have or, or they're the ones who are spending like hours every day after school you know, building and riding and, and just like, that's, that's our world for a lot of us is like our local trail. And so, yeah, thinking about trails come and go and, and how they could easily disappear if we're not, you know, like actively stewarding them and like making sure that, that as mountain bikers, we're being heard as like, this is important to us and to our community. And then I also think it's, it is such a positive thing too, to just remind ourselves like, we got to enjoy what we have too and be really thankful and appreciative of it because yeah, it could, could disappear tomorrow. And so, yeah, you got to live, live every day. Like it's like, it's your last. Yeah. I mean, I would, I can't even imagine to be honest living. I don't know. I guess places. Yeah. I don't know. I guess where you get these extreme events like forest fires and things as well. I don't know how, how Mm. devastating that is to a trail network. I'm, I'm sure pretty devastating. Yeah. And actually in, um, Tommy, who put us in touch with each other, who I worked on trails on trail with, they've just had this, um, it was especially Storm Arwen, but really extreme storm events in the northeast of England and Scotland. And the whole forests got blown over. So people haven't uh-huh. been able to go into those areas and ride their trails mm-hmm. for months in some places. And this happened in November last year. And it's, you know, the effort is very much still ongoing to get the trails up and running again because just so many trees got blown over wow. some quite really like staggering photos of it looked like matchsticks you know the forest and the trees <laughs> wow. that got blown over so it, yeah it does make you think actually that yeah not that you ever expect that to happen but it obviously does in you know right when you're right. least expecting and, and, it <laughs> yeah and, and we have to i mean we have to step up when that happens i mean at least here in the U.S., uh, mountain bikers are known for being really active, you know, in 
maintaining trails and building trails. And, you know, whenever there's like a multi-use trail work day, like you're going to see way more mountain bikers out there than hikers or equestrians at, at most of these. But at the same time, there's so many of us too that don't participate. And so, yeah, there's that opportunity for us to really come together and open trails back up when something like that does, does happen. So after dominating the World Cup downhill circuit for several years, it seems like you've come to see the bike as a way to connect with the environment and to explore new places, especially in the videos that I've seen. So what are some of your favorite places to ride around the world? That's a very hard question. <laughs> There's so many good places, and I guess they all have different aspects to them, right? Yeah. We did do a very cool trip which we did film as well, but in the French Alps. And we were going up one of the mountains that's over 3,000 meters, Mont Tabor. And it was an incredible trip, like three days in the mountains on paths that they have amazing signposts. You're like going up to 3,000 meters and the signposts telling you which way to go, <laughs> which blew my mind. Yeah, somebody had to carry that up there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but some of that single track was amazing and maybe because you've you've definitely earned it mm -hmm. but yeah we did have down especially from the peak super flowy single track through like alpine meadows and then I actually got really excited because we went over an alluvial fan which is like really big chunky rocks from where mm. kind of gets eroded from the mountaintops um, and then really cool single tracks yeah. you know I don't know if you've if you've anyone who's ridden in the French Alps or Swiss Alps quite switchbacks are definitely pretty a common thing right well i think you know when you're on an alpine trail with alpine switchbacks definitely some cool stuff out there yeah but then to be honest in south wales which is what i've grown up on and i always yeah like steep trails steep trails with lots of corners and yeah probably switchbacks and some good flow to them are kind of my thing because that's what i've grown up on right but like the kind of trails where you kind of just like fall down the hill you don't have to paddle or Mm -hmm. Yeah, somewhere with some good gradient, so gravity kind of does all the work. Yes, steep, steep downhills and stuff. So, I mean, what is like, obviously there's a lot of things that go into making a trail like a really enjoyable one. So, like, how would you rank, though, like the factors? Like, is it is it the terrain first or is it like the, the environment, like the natural beauty or or something else? Like, what what's your... What's your most important factor? Maybe the ground. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely not. I mean, I think you would notice if you're riding in a. I don't think we're lucky that a lot of places that mountain bike trails are, are really quite beautiful. Yeah. I guess you generally are a bit further away from built up areas. And yeah, I, I just think all the places I've ridden in there generally really. Yeah. But I think you would, you would definitely notice if you weren't in a healthy environment. And maybe actually now when I say about these plantation forests. Mm -hmm. I definitely get more from going to these native woodlands where you can kind of stop and pause and look around and see what's there. That definitely does kind of fill a different part of me. You know, when I get back from a ride, I've kind of got a different kind of feeling, I think. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the trails themselves, I do love trails that follow the shape of the ground. You know, any kind of natural shape in the ground. I always really like that and appreciate that. I study geology and I'm thinking now, of all the different kind of rock types you get. Mm -hmm. 
and I may be like slippery slates in the wet. Maybe I'm not so much a fan of, <laughs> oh, yeah. but where you have, I really like rock features, you know, like rock walls. And <laughs> I did get to spend some time studying in Vancouver and obviously in Squamish, there's some incredible, oh, cool. like natural shape to the ground out of the rocks that, you know, you're riding on. And right. that is also very cool. Like any kind of natural features. I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Well, your answer to, you know, just the difficulty of answering that makes me realize that's, that's <laughs> a bad question, right? It's hard to separate those things out <laughs> because, you know, the, the trail, like you're saying, the trail is as long as it's following sort of the contours of the land and it feels natural, both of those things coexist, like the, the steepness and the switchbacks and the beauty and the, the scenery, like all of it is is kind of it should be in harmony right and that's kind of what this is all about yeah i guess that's exactly right the best trails are the ones that combine all of those elements together i think is what takes a great trail to a really special one maybe yeah and it's interesting too you know whenever i talk to riders all types of riders and ask them you know where are their favorite places to ride you know most most of us will list some like epic destination that we went to that's, you know, just really beautiful. And then like second or third down the list, we'll say our local trails. And I get the sense that you're, you're very much in that same mode where like you really love your local trails and appreciate them. So, but what about that tourism side of like going places to ride? Should we be concerned about the potential impact, environmental impact that over-tourism might have on places? In a way, I feel like places that get, if you say over-tourism, I kind of like to see the positive of that because I think that's showing that people really want to be in these places and there's real value to these places that have you know natural spaces that you can go into. I guess North America is quite lucky in a lot of places there's quite a lot of kind of wilderness or natural land left maybe mm -hmm. right. in the uk we're definitely struggling for areas of land that are unaltered or like mm -hmm. that are quite natural and i think if we can give or place extra value on these outdoor places by showing that people really want to be there mm -hmm. i think that's quite positive because it shows that we should be trying to enhance and expand areas like this because there is you know it's a bit sad that we have to put a monetary value to them but that right there's definitely demand for it. And that means we should be trying to expand the places we have. So, you know, you don't have all, everyone go to one spot. There's more space for people to go. Well, yeah, I love how like your first response is both positive and pragmatic. And, you know, just saying like, well, if these are places a lot of people are going, it's because it's a really amazing place. And, you know, we, we can't stop that. And so, yeah, we, we got to work on that and find the ways um, that we can, cause we're not going to, yeah, we're not going to stop people from, from wanting to ride these amazing places and experience them. And, and hopefully then they can appreciate sort of the environmental value and, and how that's all tied together. I think the more, the more people who want to get out into these spaces, I think is so positive because I think we're also struggling that so many people aren't interested mm. so the more people the better because i think you know the more time you spend in these amazing places the more you're interested in them and how they work and how to look after them i suppose there are concerns on i guess local communities perhaps where you get over tourism and yeah and it is true the nature that's there and i guess that's where it's important to 
try and make sure wherever it is benefiting from lots of visitors that the benefits from that go back to the communities and the nature that's there I suppose it becomes a problem perhaps where all the money goes to one place and the benefits aren't kind of shared around all the different stakeholders in that area. Well, looking at your Instagram feed, I see that you post about the weather a fair amount and how that affects trail conditions. And I've also seen some posts about climate change. So I'm wondering if you see the two being connected at all. I think posting about the weather is possibly a very British thing as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know we, you know, it's the first thing you talk about after you've asked someone how they are. Right. But yeah, and I think that's maybe part of just, I don't know, I really like living somewhere that has all the different seasons where everything's changing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it definitely does obviously affect the trails we ride on. And yeah, in terms of climate change, I mean, I guess, as I've mentioned already, actually, the storm Arwen that flattened the forests where so many people's local trails are. And, and yeah, forest fires as well. And I haven't, I haven't had anything directly local to me affected, but I definitely see it and hear about it. And we've had extreme flooding in the UK. This, this, the storm, like the extreme winds we had was kind of a, a new thing mm-hmm. in my awareness. Um, but we've definitely had some very severe flooding events that entirely wipe out trails or, you know, like mass erosion on them. Mm. But I mean, you also, but then you also see the effects to the local communities. Mountain bike trails get affected, but the whole communities do, you know, people's like entire lives get affected. Yeah. And I am definitely aware of that. And it is something that I think about quite often and, you know, trying to make changes in my own life and just, yeah, it's, you know, it's a huge challenge, isn't it? But it is definitely something that's quite high in my awareness. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk about things like, well, here in the U.S., like forest fires and it, you know, a lot of people are saying that that there is a connection between climate change and things like increased wildfire. Um, and, and that affects us as mountain bikers, like really, you know, maybe in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's definitely not as big a deal as like, you know, someone's house being threatened or, or their lives, but it, it affects us. Like we, you're saying with with all of your work that trails are very important to the mountain bike community to to everyone else as well who who is a trail user and and enjoys recreating outdoors and so yeah it it just seems like a really a really big challenge and maybe one that that mountain bikers can take up more i mean do you think it's a, an issue that that mountain bikers are passionate about and and one that we can affect some sort of change on yeah i think it's it's definitely starting now i think we're quite behind some sports like for example snowboarding and skiing mm, yeah yeah i do have some links with power uh, protect our winters in the uk mm-hmm. and yeah i guess the link is so obvious for snow sports you know with snow <laughs> right. um you, you can't get away from that at all i guess with mountain biking there's maybe like a few more what the word is like a few steps away from the direct yeah. impacts except that obviously we do have forest fires and flooding and these high winds and in the uk at the moment we have this thing called larch disease so these plantation forests of larch have a disease and everything is getting felled so everywhere where there were trees and trails going through those woods they've all been felled um, and it really mm-hmm. has an impact on the trails and they're not the same once the tree cover is gone because mm-hmm. the soil dries out and kind of blows away much more. You don't get like this nice loam. It's more dusty mm-hmm. and rocky. You do see quite a dramatic change once the trees are gone and it's not directly linked to climate change, but it does kind of 
make you think a bit about if there's chance of more disease and things coming from, you know, changing conditions um, in these natural places. Mm-hmm. Well, we've seen with this one disease, large disease, kind of how much that can affect the places we ride as well. I guess in terms of what we can do, we are seeing now like more brands talking about doing things better. Mm-hmm. And I think we still like, again, without there's quite a long way to go. <laughs> um, but I think we can choose with anything in our lives, actually, we can choose where we spend our money and where we put it and kind of make sure the companies we buy from or, you know, we're trying to choose better options and trying to understand where, where these things are coming from. I myself have been really trying to limit my travel a bit i guess as a professional mountain biker i guess mm. when i stopped racing there there was kind of the option where i could have gone down the route of traveling to lots of different exotic places and riding my bike and showcasing them but i wasn't fully comfortable with that kind of going somewhere to make a cool video in a cool place which yeah i mean it's a nice thing to do right but it didn't feel <laughs> particularly i guess i wanted to do something it was more meaningful to me, which like Trails on Trial was and a few projects have got lined up this year feel, yeah, I don't know, more like something I want to do. And I'm trying to think of things that are closer to home rather than automatically thinking of the most exotic thing I can do. You know, there's an awful lot of stuff to do and explore closer to home as well. Yeah. And that is something that maybe we need to think about more in the future as well. And it's not always possible. I am going to have to travel um, this year for <laughs> things. And I, I, I will enjoy it as well. <laughs> but I am <laughs> trying, you know, anything, any ideas I'm thinking of, I'm trying to think of them closer to home. Right, right. We're all kind of questioning it. Like, yeah, like, is is there value? Like, do I really need to do, to travel to this place? And, you know, yeah, saving it for the, the times when it's going to be the most meaningful. And yeah, and you mentioned snow sports too, which is... Yeah, such a great example where the whole industry from, you know, the gear brands to even the resorts themselves are thinking about that. They're talking about climate change and they're directly seeing how it affects their businesses. And and in a lot of ways, like they're some of them, like the resorts are shifting toward mountain biking as a result. They're saying, well, we have less less of a winter sports season. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to jump into mountain biking. And so hopefully some of that will carry over and they won't just say, ah, we dodged a bullet there. We now, you know, now, now we do summer sports and we'll be fine. Uh, because yeah, even the summer sports are being affected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in these mountainous environments, for sure, there's, yeah. Here's something recently about more like alpine climbing, but how, when you get thawing above a higher level than normal, which, you know, with warmer climate, mm-hmm. more of the mountain thaws in the summer and then you get it's kind of destabilizing the tops of the mountains. So like alpine climbers are having to rethink where they climb because the routes might not be as stable. Mm-hmm. I was in Chamonix one summer, like 2015, and it is also a natural process, but there was like a rock avalanche, which was quite scary and impressive to be near at the same time. You know, we're just like some of the mountain <laughs> kind of just yeah. collapses. You hear this really loud noise, but... Yeah, that is also something that's going to be happening more. Well, you sort of talked about this, but you retired from mountain bike racing on such a high note with an incredible list of accomplishments. So are you hopeful that you can make sort of a similar impact on even bigger issues like climate change and the environment now? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's always hard to know what you can do personally, right? But I am definitely, I feel like I've definitely found an area that I'm very 
fired up to do what I can in. And it's something that I do care about deeply. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess, yeah. And I guess it was recognizing that I do have a platform from my racing career and right. what can I do with it that I think is important and does something useful and helpful. And I guess in my view anyway, um, where I can share ideas that I care about. So yeah, that is very much what I realized I wanted to do. And I have also been very lucky to kind of this last year or so, it feels like it's really taken off with my opportunity to do that, Mm -hmm. being able to pursue different projects that do talk about these ideas and talk about it online, you know, just on my own social media as well. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm in quite a good place and, you know, I am, I am lucky I have, um, like soil searching, which is specialized trail advocacy branch and Patagonia supporting me. And we're very much aligned on these ideas, which is very cool. Um, I don't think I was really thinking there would be a role where, yeah, where you can be an ambassador for the environment and mountain biking at the same time. Yeah. And it's pretty cool if this is an area that grows and we can talk about, you know, these uh, topics get discussed a bit more in the, through the lens of mountain biking, I think. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you for being able to, to get to the place where you can do that and use your platform to advocate for the things that are, are truly important to you. Um, and, and thank you for taking the time to chat about it and to continue to, to spread the word. Thank you for having me on. It was great to talk. Well, you can follow along with Manon, uh, on Instagram at Manon Carpenter, uh, and we'll have a link to that and also some of her films in the show notes. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>